Let's all join together and pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you are our rock. You are our redeemer. Amen. So I know it's almost two weeks from now. But you can still picture yourself at the Thanksgiving dinner table, right? There with you around the table are family and friends that you care about that love you. You see it, and the turkey did. It turned out perfect. Beautiful. Best turkey you ever made. It's right there. The rest of the open spots on the table are just filled with the delicious sides that you love. The green bean casserole, the rolls, the potatoes, the sweet potatoes. But yeah, you can smell it. Sitting and cooling over on the kitchen counter. The pies waiting for you after dessert. The feast is prepared and you're there ready to enjoy it. But before you get to the feast, before you get to that meal that you are so excited for, the tradition starts, and person by person, you go around the table and you say, I'm thankful for, and here's how it goes. The first person says, I am thankful for all of you, for our family, that we get to be here, that we're together. I'm thankful for you. The second person maybe a little bit of emotion comes out, says, I am thankful that we have food here today, delicious food, but I'm thankful that God has provided food for us every day, the entire year. We haven't been hungry. We've had more than enough food to eat. God, I'm thankful for that. And then you get to one of the cute little kids, and you know what they're ready to say. I'm thankful for video games. God, I love video games. These are awesome. They're great. Thanks for that. And the next cute little kid, God, I'm thankful for my new stuffed animals, my dino, my cat. Oh, I love those. I'm thankful for those things. And then you turn to the next person, and that person says, I'm thankful that people don't like me because of what I believe. Okay. And then the next person says, I'm thankful for all of those awful months of this last year where we have struggled to make ends meet, where we haven't been sure if we're going to have enough money for rent or food. I'm thankful for that struggle. And then another person says, I'm thankful this year that my house burned down and I lost almost everything that I had. Thanks, God, for that. I think I know you well enough. If anything like that comes close to coming out of anybody's mouth around your table in the next couple weeks, you're going to look up and look like you do at me, and you're going to stare, and you're going to try to contort your face so you don't show how shocked you were at the words that came out of their mouth. But then because you're good friends and family and nice people, afterwards you're going to try to find time to talk to that person one-on-one -on -one and lead them over to the corner and, and kind of ask how they're doing and how you can help them and support them and love them. Because for any person to say words like that, to have thankfulness in their heart for stuff like that, I mean, something's got to have gone terribly wrong, right? Well... 
So I, I doubt you're going to hear it around your table. But I can promise you, you're going to hear it now. And for at least two weeks after this. For people who believe in God and who trust in God, Thanksgiving doesn't simply come just from outward circumstances in life. God's going to bring out Thanksgiving in his good ways. Christians can be thankful for a whole lot of things that are going to make you question their sanity and if they're in their right mind. So I bet you're thinking exactly what I've been thinking getting ready for this. Yes, even the Christians who are in this room are probably thinking the same thing. Thanks for what? So before you leave and walk out because you think that everybody here is crazy for thinking that they can be thankful for bad things, can I tell you about the first group of Christians and what their life looked like a little bit more? Maybe you know the story of Christianity up to this point. If not, let's get coffee so I can send you down that path in that part of the Bible. Well, you guys know there's time before Jesus. Then Jesus comes and does miracles and preaches and teaches that he is the Savior, that he had come to save all people. The jealous religious leaders don't like that. They don't like Jesus so much that they get him crucified on a cross and he dies. And then you guys know this. Three days later, he comes back to life and proves that God's plan to save was finished and completed and done. Forty days after that, Jesus' believers, they interact with him and they listen to him and they get to hear from him. And then he ascends back into heaven leading that small group of people who believed in him to have blank looks on their faces, staring up at the sky because Jesus now is gone. So this newly formed group of people who believed in Jesus, after that, they went back to Jerusalem and they just started telling people about what he told them, about what they saw and experienced for themselves. In fact, it kind of even sounds like that's all their life is, that they've simplified their life into being about Jesus and Jesus and you learning Jesus too. And at first that life looks like it's going really well. People listen. In a day, thousands of people get converted and they believe in Jesus too. People are joining their cause. Until those same religious leaders who killed Jesus start to see how popular the disciples are getting now too. And jealousy fills their hearts. First, not long before this, they arrest just two of them, Peter and John, and they warn them not to stop. But the group does the opposite and tells even more people. And now the whole group gets arrested. I think you can imagine like the old uh, old style newspaper and you can see on the very front page the same faces of the same people arrested again. It looks like these Christian people, they're running for dumb criminal of the year award. And then right before our section that we get today, we find out that after an angel comes and sets them free from prison, that they didn't wait to get back to it. 
Before the prison guards or anybody else knows anything is wrong, their group is back at it in the most public place for everybody to see. None of this is behavior that you would expect from logical, rational people that should have learned the first time. You and I do not expect anything like this. Expectations are good, right? Expectations influence how you see life going and what life should be like. If you want to raise level of understanding about expectations and the impact that it has, can I make a suggestion? If it's possible, go and travel to a foreign country. Maybe you can even live in a foreign country for a little while and do it in a place that you and I don't understand. I think it was 10 years ago, almost to the day today, that a small group of Americans went on a mission to buy a turkey. In a city of about 13 million people, giant city in East Asia, we wanted to buy a turkey. And we were confident that we were going to get one. So we went to the wet market. You can think like... Uh, place outdoor stands full of meat and veggies and fruits and that kind of thing and and there what did we do we asked for a hochi which is the mandarin word for turkey you want to know the little literal translation fire chicken awesome word one of my favorite words but we said we want a hochi and communication happened a guy was confident. He kind of nodded his head and went back and grabbed something and came back out, and he was holding a chicken. So, no, no, we want a holchi. Kind of looked a little bit more and, oh, raised his eyebrows and nodded his head again and said, okay, okay, and went and back, grabbed, and came back with a duck. Now, the group of us laughing, we shook our heads and said, no, 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 we want a hochi. Come on, this is a turkey. This is the right word for turkey. Shook his head, no. And for almost an entire day, we went from wet market to wet market to wet market. The same interactions, the same things going on. Nobody knew what a turkey was, and if they knew what it was, they absolutely were not going to have one. So what's the issue? Armed with the right word, and some of us with decent language ability too, it was never going to be enough. Because in that city, you were not going to find a turkey there. Any local friend would have been able to tell us that in about two seconds. What's the problem? Our expectations did not match with reality. From the outside, what the first group of Christians do here looks just messed up and dumb. As soon as these people get out of prison, they get back to it before the authorities know they're missing, before they could make their escape, and they do it again. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts and teaching people. At that, the captain went with his guards and officers and brought the apostles. Hours later, they're in trouble again. 
and the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. They had been telling the story of Jesus. And now those religious leaders were the ones that put Jesus there. Even in the face of persecution, they let the whole city know again and again, this is what happened. Because what did those first Christians expect? Jesus had told them, take up your cross and follow after me. So Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. If you're a Christian and connected to Jesus, you're going to talk about forgiveness in Jesus. You need to expect persecution like they did. I think we get that as Christians. Or maybe we just need a little gentle reminder that we should expect persecution to come our way. But today it's what comes after that that I really want to focus on and talk about. Because after persecution comes, let's think through how the outside world sees it. What do they see when Christians are per persecuted? Well, they see faces that are smiles and kind and lovely people. They see those faces turn into anger and rage. They see it online. They read the same comments that you and I see that are less than gracious words. Yeah, they call out Christians for being hypocrites because they know what God's moral standards are. And now the Christians that they interact with and the Christians that they see in their lives, they don't look like they care about God's moral standards at all. Because what they see is that it's really easy for Christians who are persecuted to give back what's coming to them. But I think more than what people see on the outside, I think it's more an issue going on here. It's the problem of finding your own identity and value in the eyes of the world. It's listening to those outsiders who look down on believers and thinking that you need to fight your way back up against them. It's the anger and indignation and rage that build up inside and are just going to find their ways out to try to level this playing field. Thanks for persecution? No, no. There's a part of us that hates this. So how does it play out for these first Christians? By now the religious leaders are angry enough to kill them. Until we hear about this one, this guy who's named Gamaliel, one of them stands up and gives the best response that I think almost anybody can give to a group of angry people. 
he talked about how others had tried what this group was trying. And once their leader died, then the group ends and, and kind of goes away. He encouraged that group then, you know, patience and time to see how things are going to play out. He pushed the leaders to leave it up to God's hands to let God decide what was going to happen. This is how he says it. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. This guy is not a Christian. This guy doesn't believe in Jesus as his Savior. He doesn't know God fully yet. But even this guy knew enough to know that whose opinion matters most? God's. God's opinion of you matters more than anything else. More than anything this world is going to say. More than the people who want you gone. More than all the insults and disgraces and issues that come from following Jesus, God's opinion matters most. And what does Jesus tell you? Yes, you will have persecution. You will have trouble in this world, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Jesus tells you that you are loved that you have been perfected, that you are the most valuable thing to God no matter what's going on, no matter what persecutions you're going through. What Jesus did for you on the cross is more than enough to set your heart at peace, even in persecution. I think it started as a tradition from one of the late-night talk show hosts but now I know it is a yearly tradition that you can find on YouTube all over the place. You've seen the videos, I promise you. The morning after Halloween, what do parents now do? As soon as their kids wake up, they go and they say, hey, I, I have something I got to tell you. Mom and dad got really hungry, and there was a lot of really good candy, and I'm so sorry, but... We ate all of it. And you watch as the kids process. And they kind of question. And then they can see that mom and dad aren't joking. And then these sweet and loving little kids turn into the Incredible Hulk. And the rage just pours out. And the words, just awful words, come out of their mouths. And, and stuff gets tossed and thrown. And they scream and they run around the house. And... Then once the parents get the reaction that they're looking for after they've taken the video of it, then they gently kind of remind their kids, well, actually, we were just joking. Here's your candy. Here you go. And as they're crying big tears, they get to eat the Snickers, and it's all okay. But, but every year that they do this and that they show this, there's at least one video that happens a little bit more like this. Hey, we ate your candy. There's nothing left. I'm so sorry. We didn't mean to. It, it's all gone. And then the sweet little kid looks up and says, it's okay. I still love you. Whoa. Like, what in the world? If you want to see a gracious response and what a gracious response looks like, 
Watch those little kids. Look at their faces. Listen to their words. You don't see anger or rage. You just see thanks because they love them. How did the first group of Christians respond to persecution? Well, the leaders called them in and had the apostles flogged. That's like ripping their backs open. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And what the apostles do? They left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And they kept on teaching and preaching the good news about Jesus. It was simply their connection to him. The forgiveness that God had told them about, God's opinion of them, it just started to pour out. They couldn't stop. They didn't rage. Thanks was going to come from their mouths as they headed out to get back into the cycle of preaching and persecution that they knew was going to come afterwards. It just comes out. Thanks for persecution doesn't have to come out of your mouth every time that you experience this and that it happens. But maybe it will look a little bit more like this. Like when you see the awful comments online and your heart rages and you're ready to type awful words, don't insert yourself. Don't type those things. God's got it. You don't have to. Maybe you're going to find yourself thinking a little bit more carefully and being really careful not to play the victim card. Because you, believer who's connected to Jesus, you are not a victim. God has given you everything, absolutely everything in his forgiveness. You're not a victim. You have it all already. Or maybe it's going to show itself for you that you listen and you still wave and say hi to the neighbors that have made fun of you for being here right now, to the people that just look down on you and are, are clear to show it, and then something bad happens in their lives. And they come and they gently knock on the door and say, hey, can we talk? And instead of slamming the door, you invite them in and you listen and you give them something to hold on to. I don't know what it's going to look like for you personally, but I can promise you this. You're connected to Jesus. You know his opinion of you. Thanks is going to come out. And I'm not saying that you have to do this at your family Thanksgiving table in a couple weeks because maybe your family doesn't even really do the Thanksgiving round kind of thing going on. But after today and two more weeks of this, you're not going to think it's so crazy anymore. In fact, maybe if you want, if you want to see shocked faces like I got to see this morning, maybe do it and try it and be the crazy one to say something like that because God's opinion matters most. And when you are connected to a gracious and forgiving and loving God who loves you, how can you not say thanks? Even in persecution? Oh, yeah. Amen.